Does anybody remember uh, Thursday, October 1st, 1987, 7.45-ish in the morning? Anybody remember that? Okay, a couple of you probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, I can still remember it. There I was, I was still wearing my pajamas, and I got jolted in my bedroom. I ran to the doorway for protection because the floor of my house, it felt like it was being shaken like a rug, right? It was the most uh, memorable earthquake I ever felt. It was the Whittier Narrows, okay? Do you remember that earthquake now, right? It was like 7.45ish in the morning. The second reason I remember that day was the reason why I was still wearing my pajamas at home on a school day at 7.45 a.m. Would you like to know? All right, just one second. First, I want to talk about something else. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep you hanging a little bit. Uh, just a reminder, what a privilege it is for us to be here today and to get this Lenten journey together. Here we go. And... Uh, <clears throat> A privilege to journey together toward Easter, journey together during Lent. We do it together as a family. We do it as children of God, as sons of God. And so we started that journey this past Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, Psalm 51, uh, a prayer of David, a song of David. We look at Joel chapter 2, Matthew chapter 6. We do this every Ash Wednesday, every beginning of Lent. And this Lenten season, we'll be doing that. We'll be journeying together through some of the prayers. Some of the Psalms, just like we did with Psalm 51, we'll be journeying through these passion readings, getting closer to Jesus and his work for us each week. But Matthew chapter 6 on Wednesday, it challenged us to think about how we pray to God and for us to not show outwardly our prayers to make ourselves look good, but to pray to God from the heart. And Psalm 51 was a great guide for us. It is a great guide. Because that prayer involves us talking to God and bringing our sin to Him. The broken pieces of our lives. Turning from sin to Him. That is repentance. One second. All right. Can you hear me now? There we go. All right. I'll put this over here somewhere. All right. That's what repentance is. Psalm 51 shows us that how we do that. It's a season of Lent, and this season of Lent is a season of repentance and turning to God. And as I was thinking about it, this very weekend, our junior high confirmation kids, they are up at their junior high confirmation retreat. They're learning more about their faith. They're learning more about their baptisms, many of them, where they were baptized as children, just like the Ford cousins here. And they're learning about this way of repentance and this way of life that we're journeying through together this Lenten season. And it got me thinking about my own journey at that same age in junior high school. And that's the second reason I remember October 1st, 1987, Thursday morning. I was a junior high school student. I should have been dressed and at school or at least on my Univega 5-speed on the way over, right? But I wasn't. I was still in my pajamas at home riding out the earthquake because I was serving the first of three days of suspension <laughs> from Sarah Villa Junior High School. Ouch! What kind of confirmation, St. John's confirmation kid gets suspended from junior high school? 
Well, you see, the day before, I had been very disrespectful to my science teacher. And if you want to know all the details, you've got to join my life group, okay? <laughs> Long story short, later that day, the principal found me, and the principal shut Michael Hayes down. And she had every right to. And I deserved the suspension I had coming. And so that's why I experienced the Whittier Narrows earthquake at home that day. Well, I give you kind of a quaint little example. It's nice for a sermon. It's not too incriminating of me, I hope. <clears throat> but I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all have things from our youth that we aren't proud of. Some of it's pretty innocent. Some of it intensely life-altering. Some of it somewhere in between the sins of our youth. I know that some of you in the room, you're haunted by that past whether it was from your youth or maybe 10 years ago or maybe even just last week and you wish you could just wipe it out and erase it. I'm here to tell you that each week on this Lenten journey, we're reminded that the good news is that we can, but better yet, God can. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, repent, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You see, repentance is when a change happens in our mind, it happens in our heart, it happens in our being, and we acknowledge that this thing that I've said or this thing that I've done or this thing that I've thought or I've left undone, it's wrong and it's broken and it's sin and i got to turn from that and I need God. And by God's Spirit, somehow, it's mysterious, somehow we turn to God. And whether that be the sins of our youth or the guilt that haunts us or the struggles we've had this very past week, this very day, we turn from them and we turn to him. I used to be a director of Christian education. That's uh, basically a youth pastor up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And it was a great ministry. And I was privileged to work with so many great volunteers at this church and we were trying as hard as we could to love the kids that were entrusted to our care, to point them to Jesus, to be with them as they face the, the struggles of life that are common to our youth. Relationship stuff, family stuff, temptations, sex, alcohol, drugs, etc., etc. You know the list. And one night, the volunteers were gathered together. We would tell our testimonies together. And we worked with a very passionate woman who was very passionate about the youth. And I'm going to call her Jane this morning. She had a great daughter. She had an awesome husband. She had a good job. She had a passion and desire to reach the youth of our congregation. She had that passion. She had that desire because, you see, Jane had made some unwise choices in her youth. That list that I just stated. Drugs, alcohol, partying. The next thing you know, Jane was pregnant, not married, in high school, just a child with a child. Jane went to Planned Parenthood and she was no longer pregnant. Jane told us her story and we listened with tears in our eyes, tears in our hearts. She told us how she felt so alone, so unsure, so depressed, 
so filled with guilt, so filled with remorse, so filled with sadness, so filled with grief, and that her life spiraled down even further. She made more poor choices that weren't good for her. Her life had become almost unbearable for her. Jane wanted to end it all. And there at the bottom, Christ found her. God found her in the midst of that most terrible time in her life. She took an honest inventory of her choices and her sins, and she identified them, and she owned them, and she admitted them, and by the Holy Spirit, somehow she turned from them to God. Jane repented, and God came in and wiped it all out. And she told us about her life change. She told us about the healing. She told us about the grace and about the mercy that she found in God's word and in the body of Christ and in her fellow believers and in her small group that she found a new life of repentance. And year after year, my friends, she told us it took years. Year after year, she grew and she healed And she eventually found a good man, and she married, and they had a beautiful daughter and got a great job, and she's volunteering at her church to make a difference in youth life. Now, Jane still had grief in her, because all of us grieve for the loved ones that we have who have gone to be with the Lord, but her grief was tempered with hope. She knew that one day she would meet the baby she never had a chance to hold, and she held tightly to that hope. Jane made a series of bad decisions in her life that could only be remedied, that could only be met, that could only be healed by the unfailing love of God and the goodness of his being. The unfailing love of God and the goodness of his being. Her story's not unique. Just coincidentally, Yesterday, I heard two very similar stories. I didn't expect it, but at our men's breakfast yesterday morning, Jay Panther, our speaker, he gave a powerful testimony of the sins of his youth, how God wiped it all out, reset his life, and now Jay's impacting the lives of countless youth in the foster system in Orange County. And he does it on Monday nights in our campus in the garage. In that very same garage last night, At Celebrate Recovery, I had a chance to hear Danny DeShane give his testimony of how in his youth he committed the double murder, sentenced to two life terms, and in prison for the rest of his life he thought God found him, turned his life around, now he is out and he's serving at Saddleback Church and leads over 350 recovery ministries in prisons today. We could go back 3,000 years and hear a story just like that. King David, described as a man after God's own heart, who as a youth trusted in God so much that he defeated the Philistine Goliath, the giant. I mean, that's the best confirmation student ever, right? But despite that great accomplishment, King David made some serious, grave, bad decisions. In the end, he was guilty of adultery, conspiracy, abuse of power, murder. In our psalm today, which he wrote, we see him pleading with God. Psalm 25, verse 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. 
In this prayer to God, which is, by the way, an awesome example and guide for us of how to pray, and I encourage you to pray this psalm every day this week until next Sunday's psalm. But in this prayer, this psalm, King David, he asked an amazing thing of God. You read that prayer, yes, you see him saying, God, forgive me, yes. God, renew me, yes. God, redeem me, yes. God, have mercy on me, yes. But even more, he says, God, don't even remember my sins. Don't even remember my rebellious ways. God, erase them forever from your mind. Why did he pray that? Did he pray that because he, his sins still haunted him? Did he pray that because of the shame of what he had done plagued him and hounded him and belittled him and continued to ruthlessly accuse him? Did he want to know that even though he couldn't erase those memories from his mind, that God had erased those memories from his mind? See that? According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Love that prayer. He's talking to God. It's raw. It's real. He's appealing to God in his nature. He's conversing with him. According to your love, remember me, God. And I'm here today to tell you, my friends, that's what God does. He remembers us according to his love and to his goodness because that's what good parents do. That's what good mothers do. That's what good fathers do. There was a study that was done a number of years back by Roland Benoit, a cognitive neuroscientist in Cambridge, England. And he found that the brain has two ways of dealing with unpleasant memories, either blocking them out, one, or two, replacing them with a better substitute memory. That's how parents remember their children. My mom doesn't remember me for getting suspended from school or almost getting kicked out of confirmation. That's another story for another sermon. (laughs) She remembers me as her son. Death row inmates have parents remembering the good things about their kids. Whatever bad things we did as kids, they're often forgotten by our parents because of their great love for us. When, when Owen and when Henrik, when they grow up, you're not going to remember them for their mistakes. You'll remember them according to your love for them and their identity as your sons and as God's sons. And if that's what happens with earthly parents, broken, flawed, earthly parents, imagine how much more is the case with our heavenly Father. He remembers us according to his great and perfect love for us and his complete goodness. That's how God remembers me and you. My friend Jane in youth ministry, our men's breakfast speaker, Jay Panther, the Celebrate Recovery pastor last night, Danny DeShane, it's how he remembers King David. When he looks at us, he sees his kids whom he loves. And every bad memory has been erased and replaced with a substitute. Last week at the Transfiguration, we saw the Heavenly Father looking upon his son. Seven weeks earlier, we saw it at his baptism, where the Heavenly Father said both times the same exact words, said this to his son Jesus, said, this is my son whom I love. I'm so delighted in him. 
The way the Heavenly Father looks to Jesus at baptism and transfiguration is the way that he looks upon you and upon me this very morning. He looks upon us and says, that's my daughter, that's my son, I love her, I love him, I'm so pleased with her, I'm so pleased with him. This is Owen and Henrik, they're my boys and I love them and I'm so proud of them. Jesus gave us that gift when he died on the cross for us. God the Father remembers us and he looks at us as if he were looking at his son, Jesus. My friend, that love and that goodness and that gaze of the heavenly Father is so encouraging and so empowering that it brings life change into our lives, so much so that yours truly became a pastor at the very church. He was almost kicked out of confirmation, right? That love and goodness works in our lives so much that my friend Jane devoted her, her life to helping youth make wiser choices than she did. And when they didn't make those wise choices, she was there for them. God's love and goodness surrounded our yesterday men's breakfast speaker, Jay Panther, so much that he changed the entire trajectory of his life. He's bringing real change to the youth in the foster system of Orange County who need it the most. God's love and goodness surround Pastor Danny Deshane, who God met him in prison so much that he found, ironically, freedom in prison behind bars. And now he brings freedom to prisons across the nation. God's love and goodness surrounded King David's life so much that he, he's described as a man after God's own heart. And his greatest legacy is that his great, 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 great grandson. 1,000 years later, wasn't some government leader, wasn't some inventor, wasn't some billionaire. But it was Jesus, the Savior of the world. I mean, if you ever thought that God couldn't redeem the sins of your youth or your rebellious ways or from 10 years ago or this past week, look to King David. His descendant was Jesus. And God used the struggles of King David and his prayers and his songs to guide and to give words to our faith and to our questions and to our struggles and to our joys and to the realities of life. King David wrote over 70 of the Psalms, a murderer and an adulterer, wrote some of the most famous literature in the history of the world, of Christianity, of the Bible itself. My friends, his prayers, they are a gift to us. They are a guide to us. And may those prayers inform your faith and guide you this Lenten journey. Psalm 25, verse 1. I'm going to say the words. I'm going to pray the words out loud, and I hope you will pray them in your heart. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Your heavenly, your heavenly Father, your Heavenly Dad, 
your papa. He does not remember the sins of your youth or even this past week or even this morning or even right now. He remembers you according to his love and his goodness. You're his kid. He loves you and he's so proud of you. Live in that love and that goodness all your life. Amen? Amen. Amen.